Well, welcome to another episode of uh, Fuck You Friday. I'm your host, Wynn Silberman. This is my co-host, Casey LeBlanc. I'm super excited today to be able to host Ben Pachetti of Sticker Farmer, an amazing company, an amazing man, an amazing story, um, and looking forward to digging into some entrepreneurial uh, success and struggles uh, as as you grow, as you grow. Um, but with that, uh, Casey, uh, I always um, want to give some context to this podcast. I, I got... Ben here. I don't know how I did. It's a blessing, but I want to be able to give some context as to why we're here, what we're doing here, and then go into uh, uh, introducing Ben a little more. Yeah. So Ben, uh, we're always trying to find like uh, what this podcast means in context of our guests. And I think with with you, it's at least from my understanding at this point, I, I may have to adjust my answer in an hour as we go through the podcast, but it really, fuck you Friday. Uh, is it originates from the standpoint of this difference of 20% in a work week and what you're doing differently to scale your business, to grow it, to expand it, the the trials and tribulations that go into it. And so we really want to know and dive into what you're doing from a, either a, a product, a personnel standpoint, or just a mentality standpoint that's helping you grow and scale a business that has all of the upside in the world. So some of the things we'll just kind of want to jump in your head, obviously know your story, but we also want to know like, what are the things that you're doing mentally to overcome some of the obstacles that you have? So that's, that's at least in the context. That's a, great, of, that's a great way of saying it. I mean, and basically what we're looking for throughout all these episodes, there, there's, there's, there's certain formulas here. There's, there's similarities with everybody who's been successful in sitting in this chair. And we're just trying to flesh that out and really understand what the hell makes someone successful in business and, and in life. Yeah. Cause it can um, be different for different people. So we can just jump in right yeah. there. So tell us a little bit of background on you, where, yeah, you're, where from, you're from, what you're doing, like what is sticker farmer just in general for people that don't know. Cool. First of all, thank you for having me. Appreciate you guys having me out here. Thank you. Um, I'll go ahead and dive right into that. So sticker farmer is a company that I um, started with my wife somewhere around like five years ago. We focus on cannabis marketing specifically. Um, some of the things we do is graphic design, labels, packaging, all the things that kind of go along with it. And you get your social media marketing and stuff like that, which is actually the, a big part of the push. I feel like we've been pretty lucky to be part of a, an industry that's growing right now. So it's enabled me and the people around me to learn more at a rapid rate. Mm. If I wasn't born the time I was born, I wouldn't be part of this right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I feel really blessed to be part of the industry right now, and I look forward to where it's going. So yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I, I apologize. I'll about interrupt that. you when I want to, by the way. Yeah. I well, really uh, yeah, I have a, a lot of class. So <laughs> okay. actually. So, so Ben, that's interesting. So how did you get it? How did you get here? How did you start? Where, how did you yeah. get into this space? You know, I think it's driven by creativity. I was uh, in high school making weed brands. You know, I was doing projects similar to like the ones I'm doing now. And For context, how long ago was that? Um, that was 25 years ago. Okay. So 25 years ago, I was making weed brands in high school that I was marketing. I didn't realize that it was going to lead to what we're doing now. But and you were doing it all yourself. So you're doing the design, the sales and marketing. And I had a little team of dudes. We were okay. called G1C Gone Crazy. That was my first little company. Yeah. Yeah. No, I want to touch on something immediately. We talk about passion. In the former episode, we even talk about how passion drives success. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the story about um, your teacher uh, and and what you were doing and 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 your teacher telling you you were never going to amount to anything because you're dealing with with cannabis type things? Can you tell us that story a little bit? Yeah, it kind of like the same time in my life. I I'm like starting to create art. I'm realizing myself as an artist. I'm assigned a project which is like a collage project, right? 
So I get a High Times magazine because it's the only fucking magazine I have around. It's the only thing I'm really into. I make a collage out of the High Times magazine. I hand it in. And my teacher writes me this nasty letter on the back of it talking about how, you know, I'm not going to add up to much if that's the, my what I choose to focus on, you know. Um, here we are, like I said, 25 years later, High Times just contracted me to brand all their weed. They're <laughs> opening dispensaries. They just hired Sticker Farmer to create like, I don't know, 10 or 15 different unique strain looks for them. And they're going to be featuring that piece of art with the note from my teacher, like in their, you know, future marketing and stuff like that. So it comes full circle. And, and, and let's talk about art a little more because uh, Casey, I know that, you know, you're, you're driven in business. You're driven in the, in the corporate world. Traditionally, the role of the artist tends to be diminished. Traditionally, it's the it's the starving artist, right? And yet at the same time, a logo is and represent your company often it is so critical. So Ben, can you reflect on how the hell you're an artist? You truly are. You're capturing creativity. Traditionally, that doesn't pay very much. What the fuck? It, you're you're doing it as an artist. You're making it as an artist. Explain to me what's going on. I mean, a big part of that just comes down to insisting to get paid mm. and mm. being able to chase your money. I'm a good balance of a businessman and an artist most successful people that I know in marketing are a balance of creative and artistic Hmm. and I'm sorry. And business is what I was trying to say. Um, Some artists, they don't have the ability to fucking collect the bill. They could do a $500 drawing, but they don't know how to say, Hey, can you pay me 500 bucks? Well, isn't, isn't it interesting uh, again, kind of fast forwarding a bit, but the, the current business environment or just the, the current world, the artist has become the celebrity. Right, you see the NFTs and some mm. some things selling for sixty nine million dollars in crypto. I mean, the artist has more power than they've ever had. So whereas artistry had been looked at as you know, oh, you're just chasing a dream. It's never going to account to any dollars and cents. Whereas now that creative has be is where the margin is. Right. So we yeah. we looked at your plant yesterday, and I thought it was fascinating to walk in, and we talked a lot about the production side and stuff like that. But really, it would seem to be. Like from a business perspective, as I was looking at it, you create your margin in some of the brand in some of the design and some of the, like the, the, that side of the business, the sales and marketing side, because on a, from a production standpoint, there's probably a lot of people that can produce stuff, but that is really where the difference becomes in, in when you create a brand, whether it's for a weed product or a business, that's where the world is going. That's why pe- people are so much into content and creating this brand for the, whether it's themselves or their businesses. Do you have a, any insight on that? I'm, I'm bridging the gap. I'm bridging the gap between a doodle on a fucking napkin at a restaurant to a $100,000 marketing order. Yeah. And there's yeah. a whole bunch of shit that happens in between, you know? So my team is able to facilitate it. My team is able to take your ideas, bring them to life, actually print this stuff, put it on packaging. And now we're actually in a position where we can help you source and sell your product. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. And what I want to do is take a quick step back before uh, you've, and, and, Congratulations on your success so far, so far with Sticker Farmer. Prior to Sticker Farmer, I want to go a little bit prior to that and the origins of, of how you and your wife um, kind of scrapped things together and, and built this built this empire. I don't, I don't want to talk about Sticker Farmer immediately. I want to talk about what were you doing prior to Sticker Farmer as an entrepreneur, as a survivor trying to make bread? Yeah, I think like anybody at my age, there's hundreds of stories that have led to where I'm at, you know? I can narrow it down to a few, you mm-hmm. know? I think, um, I think, some early projects that my wife and I were doing where she was hand painting Mac Dre on t-shirts and we were selling these hand painted t-shirts. 
um, was the origin of us actually starting and being able to sell art. I think the time that I put in with my brand Hustle Heads in the parking lots of Raiders games and Warriors games, and I'm actually like the bootlegger dude in the parking lot selling shit. That was the first time I stacked the money. I was going to say, how much did you make in like a I made I made $25,000 in like two years. Oops. I made $25,000 in two years and had $25,000 saved up in my warehouse that my wife is holding up. I start venturing out, getting into crazier shit. WrestleMania is coming to town, and I go all in on WrestleMania. And you'd have to understand what the Hustleheads brand is to get this whole story. But long story short, it's like a giant face cut out that you're going to hold in the crowd. So Hulk Hogan, for example, who's someone who pretty much everybody knows, you would have a, literally a face cut out of him, and you're slinging yeah. that in the parking lot? More like, you know, Steph Curry and mm -hmm. these other, like, very active current players. Um, I'm at a WrestleMania event. I got two of my fucking best dudes with me. I get surrounded by 20 people. It's WWE law enforcement, WWE fucking attorneys. They have their own fucking police, they, everything. They surrounded my van. My van is full of in their eyes, which is like bootleg products, you know? And that's actually what brought me and Wynn together because I call this dude. I'm like, hey, man, I just got in trouble. I don't have much money. And um, you got a lawyer to pick it up, and he got my fucking insurance. Well, and and there, it's interesting though, because there's a distinction. There's the distinction between law and business. Law and business, because on the one hand, as a business, uh, as a business person, you're seeing an opportunity to make money, which is you're creating this hustlehead brand, for example, right? But on the other hand, as you said, you see yourself as an entrepreneur making money. And all of a sudden, these people are coming in. Go, wait a second, guy. This is a licensing issue. You're in trouble. What do you do now? Um, and yeah, that's, it's how we kind of got together because that's, uh, that's the moment you're like, Hey dude, I don't know what's going on here, but it's, it speaks to understanding that just because you make money in one particular thing doesn't mean that you you've made it and doesn't mean that you've learned everything. And that, that was a process for you. It was good. It was a fine line. I walked that line every day. There's a very fine line between being a bootlegger and being a knockoff person who steals other people's ideas. And being a resourceful, dope person who figures out ways to make money. Yeah. And that's what I consider myself. I'm just a resourceful, dope dude that knows how to make money. And if I piss off a corporation in the process, then their lawyers can let my lawyers know and they'll work it out. Yeah, your, your lawyers let lawyers know. In, in other words, <laughs> what you mean is you have now, you can afford shit now, right? Fuck yeah, I can. You can afford stuff. But but I want to talk about Sticker Pharma then. But again. then I couldn't. You saved my ass, bro. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. that. I'm just that trying was, to help a little bit. I was big. I was well, scraping together. What I want to talk about now, though, is transitioning from, look, you're an artist. You're making some money. You're making some coin. Now you've positioned yourself in the cannabis market as a, a vital source. And, and what I liken it to is 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 like the gold rush. What, what you're doing is you're providing the picks. You're providing the shovels. You're providing the, you're the Levi's of the gold rush, right? Because every uh, weed brand out there um, that is trying to make in this market needs branding, needs effective branding. But what you've experienced personally as an entrepreneur is that you're no longer just one person. You have a business and organization and talk to me a little bit about some of the growing pains that you've experienced um, and trying to get to the next level, like any business. In 2008, my mom gave me $14,000. The last year we just finished, I think about a $6 million a year. From that $14,000, I now have five business locations. I have something around 50 employees and a network of hundreds of people that help me do my business. And I have thousands of clients. 
the only reason I have that is because I was passionate about what I do and because I wake up every single day, no matter how dope today is. I could do a million-dollar deal in this room right now. No matter what, tomorrow I'm waking up empty. That fucking tank does not stay full. When I go to sleep, that tank goes empty. I wake up, I'm fucking hungry again. Mm. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how great it is. doesn't matter what I buy myself. doesn't matter what I fucking get in life. Tomorrow I need that fix again, and I'm going to go find that motherfucker. So as you, <clears throat> as you scale your business, excuse me, and you hit different tranches of success, how— like, right. Is, what was the hardest part? Cause I always look at it. Like the first million is really difficult. Then to go from a million to five is, is another kind of nothing the hardest is linear. part is right now. I've been stuck in the eighth inning for fucking two years. And I'm sure a lot of people fucking get what I'm talking about. It's like, there's another level of business. I'm fucking trying to get there and it's hard as fuck. It takes lawyers. It takes fucking accountants it takes tax people it takes fucking awesome co-workers and managers and hr people it takes all this shit that i never wanted to get involved in because that part, part is that of part it. of the be, like being an artist where you're like look at some point you look at it and you say I, what i really like to do is the artistry and the design the creative and stuff like that the business side of it can be it can be a drag like, yeah there's i like people- smoking weed and drinking and chill with my boys and shit that's what the fuck i want to do i want to be in the hills fishing with my boys But guess what? I have this company I need to take to the next level. I have all of these families depending on me right now to build their family. I want my workers and my managers to buy homes like I have. That's all I care about. That's the whole driving force behind everything I'm doing right now. That and a few fucking L's I've taken, such as losing my best friend a month ago. Fucking, let's rewind six weeks ago. I'm running out of time. I'm feeling tired. I'm 40 years old. I'm feeling like I got about two more years to work, right? I'm like, I could work hard for about two more years. I work pretty fucking hard. And I do 16-hour days like nothing. Four weeks ago, my best friend dies, right? This tank of mine, that's my motivation tank, was getting fucking empty because I'm getting old and I'm getting fucking tired. And I'm getting sick of motherfuckers. I'd rather deal with less people. This dude that died meant so much to me that my motivation tank is through the fucking roof. This motherfucker convinced me to come down here to San Diego right now and do this shit with you guys. He's convincing me to fucking fly to Atlanta next week to try to open Sticker Farmer Atlanta. It's like you take a moment that's fucked up in your life and you turn it into something good. Some beautiful shit might come of it. What what was the process for you mentally? Because that's a big deal. Um and not getting into the weeds of it, but understanding, like, for you, something tragic happens. What is the timeline? Well, I've, I've how how do you process it. it? I've been through it. When I was 24 years old, I lost my best friend. My best friend died. That shit gave me a crazy motivation. That shit motivated me to get to where I'm at. And this dude rocks with me every day. I wear his ring. I literally can feel him. So I knew what I could do with that motivation. I knew I could take that motivation, that sour moment in my life, and turn it into fuel. And I experienced it, and I got here. And then now I'm running out of motivation, and then I lose another fucking friend. Like, guess what? I'm getting to that next fucking inning. I'm going to get to the ninth inning. I'm going to get to the fucking playoffs. I'm going to get to the fucking Super Bowl. I'm going to do all the shit that it fucking takes to fucking be what everybody would see as fucking successful. Whether or not it feels that way to me in the end is questionable. Well, isn't that the most important thing? Yes. 
right? Like, I mean, yes. I, like there's yes. a lot of people that would look at me and go, hey, you're successful, but it doesn't mean shit if I don't feel success. And it doesn't mean what I used to think was success when I was younger is different. It's evolved over the last several years. Well, a lot of years, right? as you get older, it changes, but other people thinking success doesn't, doesn't really matter. Well, family and friends. If my family and friends think it, then fucking I made it. You know what I'm saying? Is that really if, true if, though? For me, yes. If my mom thinks I'm successful, then I was successful. But what? How do you define success, or how would she define success? I don't know. Whatever. If she's like, "Damn, my son was successful," then like, cool, that's great. You know what I'm saying? My definition of success, I don't really know where that is. I don't know that I'm gonna do something in my life where I'm like, high five, Ben. You fucking did it, dude. Pat yourself on the fucking back. I don't have that in me. Is that part of like? Why you're successful though? For sure. Yeah, because mm. it just doesn't. Yeah. Like you're always chasing. Because because my dad and my brother built hella shit around the house, right? These dudes are building all this sick ass shit, and I'm lazy, right? So like you're fucking lazy, bro. You're not helping us. You know what I'm saying? And then you build this shit into your head. You know what I'm saying? It's like shout out to them for making me this way. I'm not mad at them for it. Don't get it twisted. I'm not mad at my dad and brother for calling me fucking lazy. They made me the way I am. They fucking made me like this. You know what I'm saying? So you wake up every day and you hear a motherfucker saying, you're fucking lazy. You better get up. What is it that drives you? What, what You're successful. You guys are both successful. What is it that, that drives you? What is it? You're, dude, you're making good money. You've made good money for, for a while now. Why, why do you still get up at fucking the butt crack of dawn every morning and you're in the office? What is it that drives you? Yeah. Uh, I've thought about it a lot. Like there's a, a part of me that's driven by... Like I'm, I'm happiest when I'm chasing dreams and, and in my career, when I'm, when I'm leading different people. But I think ultimately as I've processed this a lot of different ways is like, I have a fear of like being less than successful. Right. And it's, I guess this fear that wakes you up early. And there's a lot of times when you wake up early and you don't want to go up, you don't want to get up. You don't want to go work out. You don't want to go to work. You don't want to make the phone call. You don't want to do it, but that fear of not achieving the level that I think I'm capable of, mm -hmm. the the fear of, uh, like, the ultimate fear. Like, I honestly, like, even after so many years of being in business, like, the fear of, like, man, I could go bankrupt. I could go broke. I could, you know, and all of the different things that you try to, like, put in place to make sure that that never happens. But it's this level of fear that wakes you up. It's like this thing on your shoulder that gets you up and is like, hey, asshole. Like <laughs> someone else is doing it. Someone else is going after it. Like, why are you, what are you doing sleeping in? And I guess it's just these these two people on my shoulders, like, hey, just sleep in, no problem. But I listen to the one where there's fear on the other side, and and that really is motivating and driving. So I worked with this dude named Gary in a mail room, and he may have been disabled or something, right? And I'm working in a mail room at the same time. And Gary comes to me and he says, Hey, once you gain, you gotta maintain. That shit stuck to me. I never wanna be the dude that falls off, bro. Yeah. I never wanna be the dude that used to have some shit. I never want to be the dude that used to be on top. I'm going up until the fucking day I die. I'm going to work my fucking ass off to make sure that when I die, I'm making money. I have this fear. I'll tell you this. It's funny. It's just to that point is that so every, you know, you have a five year, a 10 year, a 20 year, then a, what I don't know, whatever, a 40 or 50 year, uh, like time where you go back to high school. What do they call those things? Reunions. Uh, yeah. Reunions. Yeah. Thank you. So, so I've always had this fear. Like I was a decent enough athlete as a, as a high school kid, but I'm always fearful of being the fat ass that shows up to the reunion where they're like, what the, what happened? And so honestly, like this gets me going to the, like I'm a five, six guy gym. Like, I'm doing some act, like active activity five or six times, like a week. 
because I'm scared to be the fat ass who shows up at the reunion. And they're like, you, you used to be this, or you used to have this. Like what? How could you be so late? Like you piece of shit. Doesn't sound good. Does it? It doesn't sound <laughs> good. Like, and it, and it replays in my head. And it's so like this level, it's funny. Cause you, you like people remember like the, the fear or the, 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 the disappointments of, and it can fuel them or it can break them. And like, those are the things that I think are super important as we talk about this podcast. I'm interested to hear some of your stories about what are like, I'll transition that into a question. Like what are, what's the one, th- like maybe not one thing, but what is one thing where you, aside from maybe your friends passing, are there other things that help you and challenge you to continue to grow? Because you've, you looked at it and, and maybe recently said, I don't know if I want to work anymore. I got two years left. Like how do you overcome some of that? You know, most of it's just motivated by taking care of my people at this point, you know, and my kids, my dedicated managers and workers, my parents, like if I can give any of them a better life in any way, even if it's taking them out the lobster one time, like I want to do that. I so, want to be the person to provide that. So what, what, what's the next step for, for you is because again, we talked about this nonlinear uh, trek of uh-huh. a business and, and I, I'm, I've gone through different tranches. I've gone through different levels and scales and you get to different things and, and there's different problems, right? You just talked about the lawyers, the people, things like that. Where are you right now in the business and how are you, how are you looking at it for the future? Well, look, look at me right now. I'm sitting down with two dudes with sport coats on, you know what I'm saying? That's where I'm at. And a pocket square. <laughs> I, need, I need to be able to accept the next business levels that there are. I need to be able to work with different types of people than I'm used to being around. I need to get comfortable in different conversations and different environments that I haven't ever been in because of the type of person that I am and how I was raised and where I come from. But uh, I think overcoming those things, that's what they're talking about when people tell you you have obstacles on the way to the top. They're not talking about somebody actually blocking the door and not letting you in. You know what I'm saying? They're talking about you getting past your own mental challenges and telling yourself, I don't like doing this, so you don't fucking do it. I don't like getting on airplanes. Like, I saw my grandfather a few weeks ago, thanks to this dude. I hadn't seen him in in two years. I walk in the room. My grandfather knows where I'm at in business. First words out of his mouth, he said, Ben, you're going to have to accept that you're going to have to travel to be successful. And my biggest fear at that moment was having to travel and be successful. Have you ever have you ever looked at your business and looked at yourself and said, maybe I need like has there ever been this question mark of am I the right person in the right seat as the business? I know the business is successful, but can I take it to a hundred million dollars? No, I can't. So it's me and my wife. My wife is a legit some type of genius. I can't really I identify it, but she's an extremely smart person. We've taken it somewhere to as far as we can take it. There's another level of business that we need to get to. We need to bring in partnerships and investors and other people that understand business on a different level. Like I said, I started this with 14 grand and a fucking dream. I don't have a, I have a fucking 12th grade education and I barely pulled that off, you know? I don't read books. I've never read a book in my whole life. I don't know about taxes. I have no fucking clue how it works. I'm a freight train, and I rely on everybody around me to fucking clean up the pieces, you know? And that freight train better be fucking producing money, or it's not going to be able to afford to clean up the pieces. So now I'm at a point where I can hire business people, 
to fucking help me do shit. And I'm hoping to fucking figure some shit out. It's, it's funny. You, 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 you name yourself as a freight tain, and I, and I understand that mentality. And it's, by the way, it's a winning mentality. One of the things that I think is so special that seemed to be a common thread, and by the way, we met through uh, a very special guy in Nick Swinburne who, who founded Zappos, right? And, and one of the, the quintessential reasons why that company exploded was that everybody was, was happy in the workplace. There, were, there was a vibe there. Um, ben, I want you to talk about how important it is uh, to create a winning culture in business, because you damn sure know about that. Because every time I go to your to your shop, people are lively. There's music, and it's it's a it's it's an crazy environment. And I do believe that that's a critical component to anybody's successful business. Yeah, it's venture. popping. Motherfuckers love working for me. I like having loud music on. I like um, you know a little edge to the environment. I'm not like the most professional dude. You'll never catch me fucking critiquing people on certain shit. And I'm also a hard ass, and I'll fucking flash on you in a second. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I walk that fine line of being a fucking cool dude and letting motherfuckers know I don't take shit. I really want to go to one of your like office meetings. Yeah, we're going to have a whole company-wide <laughs> office meeting on June 5th. It's the first time my entire company's getting together. I have people that work for me I've never met, which is fucking crazy. So is that outside of your comfort zone, putting together something like that? And then actually, you're, I mean, as the CEO, you're the CEO, correct? Yeah. Okay, so as the CEO, you're a performer. Right. Like there's, sure. there's certain, there's certain strings you've got to pull. There's a performance that you have to give. Is this your first one? And, and what are you looking at? I built you? up to this. You know what I'm saying? I've been addressing a crowd of 30 on a regular for a while. I, in the last two months have left my big company to where I'm not there every day. I actually work from home now. Um, but for a long time, I was addressing a big crowd of people. I played football. I know what it's like to be in the locker room when the fucking coach gets everybody pumped up. There's something about a fucking halftime speech that fucking sticks to you and burns. And I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that. So I'd like to think that when I address a crowd of my people, I'm getting them fucking pumped up and I make them feel good about what they're putting their fucking time and energy into because fucking having a job sucks. Fuck straight up. Yeah, It's interesting. Uh, we talk about the role of sports. Uh, it tends to be a consistent theme for us. Um, and ironically, ironically, it, you know, the reason I met Nick was through sports. We're connected implicitly through sports. Um, granted, you, I don't think you played in college, right? But you did, you mentioned that you played in high school, right? Did you play in college? Wow, here we go. Oh, don't even start. Don't even... I appreciate that. <laughs> That's going to be the clip we, oh, cool. we cut. Oh, yeah, cool. Oh, cool. I love oh, that. Cool. My, my point is, did you learn, are there any things that you learned through playing uh, high school football in, in sports that you've applied to, to business? To, no. To Sticker Farmer? No. What about? <laughs> He's such an asshole. Great sometimes. question. No. No, I learned all my dope tricks in the streets. Yeah, I learned all my dope shit from fucking real fucking pimps, players, and hustlers. Okay, so let's talk about that. Yeah. What are the Give top me two? Yeah. Give me one or two examples of what you learned on the street that's uh, equated to a business lesson yeah. that we can we everybody can learn from. Um, loyalty. So that's and interesting. You know what? That does that does tie back to sports. It does tie back to sports, but there's also, so we've had another guest who actually was a, was a huge ecstasy dealer. And, and the, it's interesting because a lot of people read a lot of business books, but there's not a lot of written material or otherwise that talks about what you can learn on the streets that actually translates well into the real world, whether it be business or otherwise. So as you talk about loyalty, what do you mean by loyalty? What are some other things that you learn on the streets that are, that are helping you in business? I mean, if I could sum it up to one sentence, you get killed for doing some dumb shit and everything in between. 
for not being respectful to people, for not treating somebody with some common respect, no matter how much fucking money they have. You know what I'm saying? No matter how big they are. It's like the the biggest big dogs in the streets, like they don't move like that. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like, you know, I'll tell a sports story real quick. I'm I'm at baseball. I must be like 13 years old. I'm sitting there. I got my whole baseball team with me, and I'm talking shit to this older kid. And he, I think he knows my brother, okay? I'm sitting with my whole fucking baseball team. Dude says, you say some shit like that to me again, I'm going to fucking slap your ass. You know what I'm saying? And then I fucking, I said some dumb shit. This motherfucker slapped the living shit out of me, bro. He slapped me so fucking hard in front of my whole baseball team. If I saw that man right now, even though he's probably in prison, dead or something, I would hug him and I would thank him. That was a fucking life lesson. For what? That the big dog will slap the shit out of you. The next motherfucker will really get on your bumper. And if you're going to fucking treat a man a certain way, in an aggressive way, you better be ready for what's coming. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any examples like that case where where you felt uh, that challenged or or that you had to step up and and either slap or be slapped in business? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I think there's, I think everyone has pivotal moments in their life. I think you have certain ones that uh, most of them happen at a younger age because they prepare you for what, how you're going to respond at an older age. And, and I think, I had similar situations where you, you know, whether you get beat up or you're the one who's actually doing the, the, the fighting or the initiation. And I think in business, like so one of the things that kind of resonates with me is like this level of like, you're, you're chasing these, like the big guy, right? Like the, in your, in your little league story, the big guy was probably the better athlete. He was older. Sometimes when you're young, the older person has more skill or ability, but you look up to them, whether they do or whether they don't. And I think that translates into, into, into business, at least for me where I always look at it like the older companies have this legacy. So they're, they're, they're better. And so I take this youthful approach of like, I'm going to, I'm going to push or challenge those people and, and I'm chasing what they have from a legacy perspective, but I enjoy what I have from a youth perspective because I take a different, uh, I did take a different approach to different things, right? Like legacy sometimes means old and slow and young means nimble and quick. And so that nimble and quick helps you beat the slow, you know, older, uh, person. So I guess like if to, to bring it back to the, to the little league story, it's basically like, how do I beat the older guy? Well, it's being quick and nimble. It's being youthful. It's being, uh, aware of your situation, but you, you, at some point you have to perform. And so I think sometimes it's keeping your fucking mouth shut and learning from them. I'm not very good at that. (laughs) And I I wasn't either. It's It's obvious, you know, and, and I, I can't say that it's made me keep my mouth shut, but it's made me move differently when I do open my mouth. You know what I'm saying? I'm still talking shit. It's just maybe it's filtered. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe I'm giving off a different vibe, like you better not fucking slap me when I say this shit, and then they start to accept it, and you start to mentally be able to beat that moment or that situation with your brain instead of your body. So I've told this story before. Well, I don't know if I told this story before, but I, I'm a, I've been a shit talker my whole life and I wanted to perform and I wanted to talk shit because I wanted you to fucking get frustrated by the words that were coming out of my mouth. And then I wanted to perform and make sure you felt like my competitive spirit, my athletic ability, but I wanted to instill what was going on in my head. And I thought I could do both. Well, anyways, so to, to your point, we were playing Fresno one time and I remember 
the whole time I was talking shit to this guy and I knew he was talking shit back and we were going at it. We were going into, into the tunnel at halftime and in, in, at Fresno, you go into the same tunnel. And so he came up to me, grabbed me. And it was the first time I remember ever being challenged. And he basically grabbed me by the face mask and spit right in my face. And I, and it, and it shook me a little bit. I wasn't prepared, right? It was like to your point where you like, you get challenged and you have to be ready. So it took me five or six seconds before I fucking challenged him back and spit right back at him. But it was like, what are you going to do in those moments? It's fight or flight. And those are the moments in your life where you're, you're defined by them, right? Like, are you going to cower and be like, let him go into the tunnel and then for the rest of my life, wonder why the fuck didn't you fight back? Or are you going to spit back? Are you going to fight him? Like to me, I'd, I'm comfortable losing, but I'm not comfortable just walking into the tunnel and letting somebody spit on me, right? Like that, that was the decision that day and it pays dividends for the rest of your life. So those things happen and there's probably only a handful of times where you're challenged like that by the, by the older guy who slaps you across the face and stuff like that. You know, and, and I probably still shouldn't talk so much shit, but I, but you know, again, I, I think you learned a lot of lessons in those, in those moments. Well, let's talk about learning. Uh, I, I want to switch gears a little bit, but talk about the role of, uh, cause we banter a lot about the role of education, right? Formal education versus doing business and making money. Um, and, and my question is, do you feel like there's a certain level of education that helps you succeed or does it actually prevent you from succeeding? Me, uh, me personally? Yeah. Well, for me, it's obvious, you know? I don't think that I was going to, I don't think I was going to go on to do nothing great in anthropology because that's the classes I was taking in college or tried to take, you know? I don't know where I was going to get with that. So I think some people need that structure. I think some people need the opportunities that are given to you through colleges and things like that. I also feel like high school just prepares you to be a good worker. And when I was five years old, I would tell people I'm not going to have a regular job like you do. And you'll see when I'm older that I'm going to have, I'm going to do some different shit and I'm going to figure out other ways to make money. Yeah. I knew when I was a kid. So I think that's a unique scenario to each person. Hmm. Hmm. Well, what about you kids? You, you've talked about Elizabeth, your experience at Bellarmine. I mean, did, is what at Bell, what was it at Bellarmine that, that drove you to want to do something more with your life than just, uh, than just be prepared to, to be work? To well, it was a, lot, a lot of it was the success around me. So you put, you're putting in an environment where people are ultra successful and you hadn't seen that level of success. And so you're looking around going, wow, what are these people doing and how do I start to compete and start to look at life in a different way? And so I think you're right. I think like school teaches you to work for someone else. But when you see some of the opportunities and then you start to ask a couple more questions, like, what are these people doing? Well, a lot, of, a lot of them were doing real estate. A lot of them were entrepreneurs. A lot of them were leaders of companies. And so I said, okay, well, I want to get in all of those fields and try to figure out what my niche is. And I think people need to lean into some of their success. So they need to figure out at a younger age, or at least have people talk to them about what they enjoy, what they're passionate about, what they're good at. And then really focus on those. I think a lot of times people focus on the things that they're not good at and they try to change those things. So to your point, like, hey, look, I'm not going to win you over with my intellect with a master's degree, but what I will do is I'll be the creative that you, I couldn't even understand in the slightest. We were at your your shop yesterday and I was looking at all these designs going, I wouldn't even know where to begin, yeah. right? Like, I just don't have that. And all I need is people that went to college that I need to hire right now. Exactly. That's all my company needs. My company does not need dudes like me. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Well, it's interesting though, because case uh, you guys are both in a in in one way. You mentioned like you feel like you're in the eighth inning, meaning you've experienced some measured business success, right? Mm -hmm. And yet you know that you need something else to get to that next level. Casey, in your in your world, 
you're you're in a similar position in a way, right? You you've you have measured success, and yet there's always you know Rockefeller used to used to be asked how much is enough, and he would say just a little bit more, right? Right. Yeah, that's a great line. What what is it that you're doing now in business to get to? Because you, you're going to a next level, but what is it that you need? You've educated yourself. You're growing in your business. What is it that you're doing that's that's uh, hope, hopefully getting you to the next level? So for me, I think as we've gone to different levels in my company in different stages, I think the one thing is that I can't be the face of the company anymore as I wanted to, when I was younger, I wanted to make every decision. I wanted to be in control of everything. And now my whole job is to start to empower people to make the decisions that they would want. I would want them to make and to, to give them the autonomy. Sometimes they're going to fail, right? So you got to give them a rope. You can't let them sink, but you have to let them try to swim. And so what I mean by that is, like a week ago, I went on a vacation. I took a vacation off, no, no, no phone calls, no emails. And I, and I told the team before I left, I said, look, you will be judged by how many phone calls and emails and questions that you have while I'm gone, <laughs> because this company can't be me, right? The company isn't me. And that that's probably the most exciting thing that we've seen as a transition over the last 12 months is that I'm really not that important, right? Like I need to make really critical decisions, but I'm getting paid to think strategically and what the next three years is like instead of the next three hours. You're here now and they're making money right now. Yeah. It's a no, great exactly. fucking feeling. And they're, <laughs> and, and they're doing it because they want to, right? Like true leadership is not about telling someone what they need to do. It's about having them believe in the bigger picture and then having them want to do it and be part of it. And like truly believing in that is, 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 is what I think uh, is where my leadership needs to either evolve to or continue to build on. Bosses so. make bosses. For yeah. fucking sure. Yeah. You could boss 12 people around. Cool. But can you get 150 people to boss each other around and be on vacation? Like, that's just not easy. Yeah. You have to be able to teach the skills that you naturally know somehow. You instinctually know these things because you just fire off all these fucking orders to people all day that have built up to where you're at now. Now you have to figure out what it is that you've been saying, you have to bottle it, you have to share it, and you have to show them how to fucking actually distribute it. It's like, I'm teaching this shit that's inside of me. It's fucking hard, dude. Well, you know, just to, just to add one more yeah. point to it, and one of the things that I've made the mistake of doing, and it's because it's not a maybe a core competency or it's, maybe it's like a thing where I'm a little bit insecure about it, is that I've focused so hard on the strategy. Meaning I've always thought, okay, I want to have the best strategy in the world. And what I'm actually naturally good at is the people part of it. But actually 90% of the success is just finding and identifying and bringing the good people onto the bus, right? I can figure out where the bus is going later when I have all the right people. Cause I can just ask them, Hey, we going in the right direction. Yeah. We're going in the right direction or no. Then the people that are on the bus, like, putting them in the right seats. But I was so focused on, I wanted to have this grandiose, I want to change the world. And that's all great. You're trying to put rims on the bus. You're trying to paint the bus. Well, but, but it was a, it was a, it was a bus that was broken, right? Like if it's a, like the bus, it has to run. And the only way it runs is with the right people on it. And so the people part of it is actually what I should be spending and am spending now probably 80 to 90% of my time. I, how do I identify them? How to recruit them? How to bring them on? Especially in this, this new world, it's, it's hard to recruit talent. It's hard to keep talent. So 90% of my focus is getting better, smarter, more motivated people and bringing them into our organization. And from there, the strategy starts to identify itself. It and feels I, good when you kick those doors down, though. 
Mm-hmm. When you figure those things out, and you're like, I know we were struggling big time to get artists, you know? And then you make a few recruiting adjustments, and you put the right person in the right place, and then, bam, I got this fucking streamline of artists coming my way that want to work for me. It's like sometimes the shit's right there. You need to take a different approach tomorrow. Yeah, that's great. G- give me an example. Walk me through um, a a successful uh, campaign for a, a weed brand. I don't know if you feel comfortable naming a name, but walk me through a guy coming with some freaking flower going, uh, what do I, how do I sell this to, to an amazing uh, experience? You know, the, the most extreme version is the Runtz brand, which is a brand I helped build. Shout out to my boy LB. These dudes come from nothing and have built up to have amazing, huge companies. Um, it's done through work ethic. It's done through um, understanding the consumer's perspective on products and how products move. This is something I talk about a lot. Nobody knows the name of the fucking farm that grows Rice Krispies rice. Nobody gives a fuck about that farm. Is that really rice? I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think about it when I say that, though. I'm like, I hope I'm saying the right thing. It it crackles and pops. Um, (laughs) Well, let's just just say it is rice. Do you know the name of the farm? You know, you don't. I thought it was crispy. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, in my world, the brand is bigger than the farm. And um, if you can have a supply chain to support a brand, you can be successful. And that's what runs figured out. So, so I look at it and, and, and when, and I were talking about this yesterday as we were, as we were touring your plant and and, and by the way, shout out, it was a a fantastic uh, plant. It was fantastic. People that were there, fantastic vibe, loved everything about it. But, and I understand your focus is, 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 as cannabis mm-hmm. um, and, and the identity around cannabis and branding it and stuff like that. But brand is becoming so important and it's be, whether it's online brand, whether it's your, your physical brand, whether it's your business brand, there's so many different verticals. Are you looking at this going, look, we've shown ultra success. We have more business than we can keep up with in one vertical. Are there other verticals where you're like, look, real estate, whether it's, you know, yeah. insure. I mean, there's so many people that struggle with brand, whether personally or professionally. Yeah. We're building a design firm right now. Okay. A specific graphic design firm. That's going to be basically funded through the cannabis industry and through my cannabis clients. And I'm going to go ahead and market it to a much different level of people to these real estate agents, to these schools and school districts and all these different types of places. These monies come through. I've been, I've been making money off all these different places through the years anyway. Now I can have a place that has 20 graphic designers sitting in a building and a fucking 15 salesmen fucking back. What is it that's changed in culture that has put this uh, at the utmost of importance? It's the digital platform. It's the social media. It's the way we create the art. It's the way we put the art out there. So, you know, I come from flyers. I would make one design a week. I would make one box of flyers. It was 5,000 flyers. I would pick them up on Friday night and I had to get them all out by Sunday. Because it was for the next Friday night's party we were promoting. This is the world I come from, right? Now I can fucking do digital marketing. I could fucking have my 20 designers make 20 flyers right now. I could put them out on 25 platforms. I have hundreds of thousands of combined followers through all my networks. Tell me, tell me about your Instagram. I mean, does it generate business for you? And, and give me an example. I got like, 50 new work leads yesterday. Yesterday. Yesterday, I got 50 people that hit me up and said, Sticker Farmer, I want to work with you. And all for, all because of the free friend. social that you do, right? Like just posting stuff yeah. and, and promoting. And stuff. Yeah. It's a bunch of little tricks that we have. Like when you go fishing, you use certain bait and certain fucking waters. You know what I'm saying? Huh. So my team has now recorded all these little things that we do. You know, and I give you an example. 
I use my story a lot, the Instagram story. I say, DM me your phone number if you want to build a brand. That's the easiest fucking thing you could do to start a fucking weed company is send me your phone number. I'm going to start using that in my single life. <laughs> DM, DM me, me your if phone. you want to fuck. DM. <laughs> I, I think fuck might be a little bit. That's not the term I would hey, use. Don't edit that out. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't. Don't worry. No, there's no editing. That's um, why I'm single. But. So that works. So easy. Either way, it's the easiest thing a female could do to get in contact with you is give you her phone number and you already asked for it. I prefer she does address. Hey, <laughs> social security creepy. number. Tax ID number. <laughs> LLC. What is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but we use things like that that will generate huge lists of phone numbers. I'll get the phone numbers in the morning. My salesmen have a fucking list of phone numbers. Here you go. Here's people that are interested. In but social media has changed the game for you. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Shout out to for my everyone. Jamie Weber for talking me into fucking getting Instagram. I'm like, I don't know why I'll do it. He's like, dude, you post pictures. You do all this shit. This was years ago. Yeah. And I did it. And my one account has 56,000 followers right now. Are you concerned? I mean, so, I mean, look, it's a two-edged sword. Everything has a two-edged sword. But in the context of the Instagram world and social media uh, channels, social media platforms, more and more people are talking about the role of censorship when it comes to growing business. And I'll give you a specific example. We try to do some paid ads for this podcast, for example. And guess what? My Instagram account right now is is suspended because I uh, try to promote this logo and it has a fucking middle finger like that, which I think is bullshit, right? But are you concerned at all that at some point your business may be shut down because of the role censorship and power that is not yours plays in promoting and growing a business? Uh, well, initially I would say no, because I come from guerrilla marketing and I'm going to fucking make money regardless. Cause I'm a fucking beast like that. Do I think that will happen? I think they're going to regulate what I do more as it comes, because I don't think anybody, including the people I work for realize how powerful branding and sticker farmer is. I think once people really get their mind wrapped around the real power of marketing, for instance, if you have a, pound of weed that costs $2,000 and you accidentally get your hands on a runt's pound bag that costs $10, that pound of weed is now worth $4,000 because you put it in a fucking bag that I sell for 10 and China sells for 50 cents. Yeah. Packaging. And you just increase the product by two grand. So they're going to have to regulate it at some point. Yeah. But that's years away. It's not going to happen until everything's federally legal. Uh, when is that coming? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't keep track of stuff. You know, I, I think personally that it has nothing to do with, with morality. I'll tell you that much or ethics. What it has to do with, it, it's something that we tend to come back to every once in a while. It's, it's political, right? And so Biden, for example, you'll see a lot of the social media platforms and cannabis speak to, well, why is Biden so against this? Why, why hasn't Kamala spoken out? She was so pro this in California. That's not what it's about. It's not his personal reflection on what cannabis means to him. What it is, is lobbying. What it is, is the dynamics of him being a career politician. What it is, is him trying to balance everything he has to do to. It's about himself. alcohol and pharmaceuticals, right? Exactly. Big pharma is playing is there, a role. Is there anything else in play besides no, that? No, it's money. Well, that, that which reflects it. Yeah. 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 So these motherfuckers so, don't want us to have 30 liquor stores in my city. Or 30 cannabis clubs. You got 30 liquor stores. Let me have 30 fucking, you know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like, it doesn't make sense. There's no balance to it. So well, whether or not you want it is coming, right? There's going to be retail. So. We just talked about it. There was a national city just made an announcement that there's three retail walk-in, 21 years old, very similar to a bar, very similar to Starbucks, but be having show your ID at the door, show your ID, get and you lit, and you can uh -huh. smoke weed, right? Yeah, and that's but that's the first of its kind in California. So 
once you he start seeing people don't go to the bar and spend seven, eight hundred dollars on the regular. Maybe you guys do. But the markup on the weed to me just seems fucking astronomical. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah, but but again, it goes to experience, especially right now. People want experiences, people want to do stuff. And so people are right. willing to pay a premium. I, I was yeah. I was in I was in Cabo last week and I was looking at the prices of things and I'm like, I went on an ATV ride, right? Just a basic ATV ride, a couple of a couple of hours. And it was a thousand dollars, and I'm thinking, this used to be two Mexico. This used to be two hundred thousand bucks. Yeah, so things are changing. People will spend seven hundred dollars. People, ha you have to be able to make seven hundred dollars to be able to spend seven hundred dollars. But I think people want an experience, and I think people are looking for different experiences. So if people have any cannabis interest, they're going to want to go see what retail is all about. And I think it becomes like a bar where you, you know, you find your place, you, you feel comfortable, you meet people, you meet people like minded. So. I think it'll be really interesting to see the retail play I, on this. I recommend it. I recommend it. If you got a local delivery, hit them up. See how cool that driver is. They're going to pull right up to your crib in 30, 40 minutes. They're going to give you a little bag of weed. It's going to be discreet. They're going to give you some gummies. It's going to be a great experience. I think people are afraid. I think there's a weird little taboo. I highly recommend it. Y'all know you want to go smoke some weed. You want to <laughs> eat some gummies. Try that shit, man. Go to the local dispensary. They say, let me see your ID. You walk in. They ain't judging you. They're lit as fuck. They're high as fuck. Literally. They don't care. The bartender doesn't care if you drink. Bud tender doesn't care if you smoke. Yeah, I love well, that. I love the yeah. yeah, well, the, the bud well so when so when to to maybe tie this all in yeah. and to wrap it all up, I'm yeah. curious as you see the business because you've taken a very uh, consultative view with with sticker farmer and some of your relationships in yeah. business, and you have the legal perspective. You even have a political perspective. So I'm I'm very curious. Walk us through your viewpoint on all of this and maybe the landscape that you see moving forward. Yeah, it, it's fascinating for me, obviously, learning so much so fast of, of personally trying to experience what it is to get a license in California, for example. And, and I will say this. I think that as each state goes towards a more recreational <laughs> open policy to cannabis, I think they're learning from the mistakes of other states and municipalities. And I think, for example, one of the biggest uh, concerns that I, th I see California having, and this is me personally experienced major corporations who are billion dollar, who have been invested close to a billion dollars in this industry. California is, is right now, it's lacking a little bit in enforcement. There's no, there's no rules. There's no, there's no police, so to speak, that are out there looking for licensed or non-licensed entities that's in effect hurting the business, the, uh, the above ground business of, of California. If you look that's at, okay. no, 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 I get it. No, I'm just telling you what my experience is. <laughs> my now, boys are good with that. Yeah. Yeah. You're well, just like is. more look, is better. Here, here's, Shout out to the black market. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. And this is a real <laughs> fact. 90% of cannabis in California is still black market. There's, what is it? 90? 90%. Is that there's right? no do you, one, do you there's zero percentage? enforcement. Wow. There's zero enforcement. Now we got hella weed out there. Transition to Illinois. They enforce shit. And the above market, the 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 licensed market is doing pretty well. Harvest, as an example, which is a major corporation that's just done a tremendous merger. Um, they do well in Illinois. They pulled out of California because of the lack of enforcement. And they're like, screw it. Until you guys figure your shit out. Who are we trying to feed? We trying to feed rich dudes or we trying to yeah. feed dudes that need money. And there's 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 a point to that too. There's this blend of We're trying to feed the dudes that need the money. The rich dudes can fucking wait their fucking turn. Yeah. These motherfuckers can kick back while this shit gets regulated. Let these people that are coming up in the fucking streets eat. That's a real thing. It's a real thing, and it needs to happen. The power needs to transition. I, I agree. 
I agree. And, and with that being said, I, I will say just, just to, to coin everything, there's every state is learning from every other state. And, and the more they, they, they allow a little bit, I wouldn't call it lax, but allow people to come up and kind of learn the business and the less regulation, which is what you're really tapping on, the better opportunity is. And I think that that's it's my position. Balance. That's my to, position politically. They too. need three to four years for the seeds to get planted. Okay. So they have these, what they call sessions. So these brands grow. I know because I live through this and I'm here because of it. I was a seed. I was nothing. You know what I'm saying? And there's this black market fucking scene happening. It's amazing. And there's millions of dollars moving and pounds of bud. That's where we were all born at. Without that, there is no us. There is no we. It doesn't happen. It'd just be a bunch of fucking rich dudes trying to do this shit. Rich dudes don't know fucking shit about weed because they weren't part of our fucking culture. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You need the real people. So the black market scene brings the real people into the culture. And that's what's going to bring quality products. That, that, and quite frankly, that's what's selling. And, and I, I liken it to, uh, in a way, the hip hop culture, in a way, it was, you know, when I was, when I was in high school, I worshiped NWA. I worshiped, I worshiped all the, the hip hop artists. And it, and it was a, it was a, it was a nod to a different culture and a different vibe that, that you almost celebrated in a way. And now look where hip hop is today. It's one of the number one selling uh, music genres in the world. It's hip hop and country. That's it. They kill it. Ask anybody, ask Atlantic records, ask anybody, a similar thing will, will come to the weed industry. Um, but with that being said, um, Ben, I, first of all, I want to thank you for, for being here. It's been, it's been an awesome, awesome opportunity to visit with you. I do want to know within two years, within three years, what is your goal for sticker farmer? What, what do you, where do you see sticker farmer? My only in goal in the next years? three years for everyone that works for me to own a house. That's awesome. That's my only fucking goal. That's are awesome. you, are you tracking that? Do you know out of the 50 employees, how many people do and don't? None. Zero people that zero out of the 50 own one. I have one other owner in my whole entire network that owns a home. Actually, there's probably like in my entire 50 people, maybe three of us own homes. But where I'm from, it's fucking hard to come up, dude. And I'm determined to fucking make it happen. I'm determined for my people to fucking eat. And if if that happens, I'm good. If 50 motherfuckers under me buy houses, then of course I'm good. That okay. comes with it. So, uh, so I get I get this all the time, and I, and I and I think where I like to do is structure some of this stuff because people give me these ideas, but then there's the the plan and execution and the discipline to do it. So, what are you going to do over the next two or three years to to make that dream? I'm gonna come fly true? to every fucking city I can. I'm gonna fucking shake every motherfucker's hand. I'm gonna high five every cool motherfucker. I'm gonna filter my culture. And make sure this shit keeps going so it keeps making money and not let it get saturated by a bunch of greedy motherfuckers who just want money. So, but, but, the, but when you do, when you go into other States and you bring other people on the 50 turns into a hundred turns into one fifty. So at that point, are you saying like part of our culture is going to be, I'm talking about my core group right now that helped me get to where I'm at. That's who I'm focused on. Okay. Can't take care of everybody. Yeah. yeah I can't take care of the next 10 dudes that come with the next franchise. Yeah. Or partnership, whatever the fuck Win wants me to call it. <laughs> um, you know, I'm I have I have dudes around me that have been around me for a long time. Like I need to see them win. That's literally all I fucking care about. I can't fucking take care of everybody, but people that work for me right now, and have helped me get to where I'm at, I'm fucking dead set on making it happen for them. And the company's got to do it. I can't do it. They have to do it. They have to go to work every day. 
They have to work their ass off. They have to micromanage each other on a daily fucking basis to make the shit work. Is that going to be one of your messages when you talk to them on June the Absolutely. 5th? Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Right? Yes. That's a big one. It's the only fucking message. Everything else is some other shit that somebody else is telling me to say. <laughs> you know? I like Amen. that. Well, Amen. listen, I appreciate you coming on. It's been interesting. This is such a different business, different dynamic. And yeah. like I said, my, your brain works in such a different way with the creative that I just don't understand. It just my brain doesn't work that way, but I'm fascinated by it. I respect it a lot. I just don't get it, but I love hearing about it. And so uh, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank respect, you for respect to you for having me on, bro. Yeah, appreciate it, dog. Yep. I almost, I almost pulled a muscle. So listen, this is uh this ends up and wraps up another episode of Fuck You Friday. I just want you guys to know that we are in every fucking platform out there. Our team does a great job of promoting us. Uh, Facebook does a good job of fucking censoring us, but don't worry about that. Like us on Instagram. Allow every platform to take a look. YouTube, we're on there. My beautiful face is there. This ugly face is there. This guy's pretty good looking. No big deal. But thank you again. And that's another session wrapped up. Check out Wins OnlyFans. <laughs> Go on. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, wrap. <laughs>